and all of a sudden in a few weeks, I went from having a single Airstream forum with no intention to do anything different to owning three forums, two on topics I didn't know anything about. Hey, this is Heath Patchett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 120. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Andy Rabinowitz from Social Knowledge, LLC. Back in 2002, Andy bought an Airstream, and like most people, he decided to overhaul it and do a major renovation. While renovating any RV, you know that the one major thing that you have to do is share all of the photos with your friends and online community so they can see what kind of awesome progress that you're making on your rig. But there was only one problem with this. The Yahoo forum that Andy was a part of at the time didn't allow him to attach photos to the post. It's kind of crazy to consider that now considering how much we consume online is photo-based, but back in 2002, this wasn't very common. So he decided to start his own forum and call it Airstream Forums. And because everybody loves to see these RV renovation photos, it quickly grew to thousands of members and with its success, and he was able to turn it into a business by monetizing the traffic via ads. During the early days of the business, Andy moved to a foreign country where he could live more inexpensively while the business was getting started. But after he learned to run one forum, he received an offer to buy another one and then another one and so on. Today, Andy's online community reach via forums and media-based websites are in the millions of members. In the RV industry alone, he runs popular websites like RV Park Reviews, RV Life Magazine, Do-It-Yourself RV, and many others. In today's episode, we talk about how Andy started that first forum and grew its member base to thousands of members, how he learned that buying websites was actually easier than starting them, and the process and systems he's put in place for his business to succeed. All right, let's get into today's episode with Andy Rabinowitz. Andy, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm excited to do this interview. I know you haven't done, you told me just a minute ago that you haven't done a podcast before, but it's like you have all your hands in all these different little sites in the RVing industry. You've been an RVer yourself. You still have an Airstream. But you've told me before, you're kind of like the secret presence lurking in the RV industry. Lurking sounds like a creepy term, but it's like you, all these websites like are being powered from you. Well, we just started with one little website and you know, through a random turn of events, started adopting other ones. And I've always just kept my head down, focused on our sites, focused on our members, and uh, things have grown. So it's kind of neat that, you know, not a lot of people in the industry really know who we are or what we do. But I know a lot of RVers use our services. And that's the, the thing that makes you most grateful is knowing that you can, you know, help provide tools that other people use. So you started Airstream Forums back in 2002, and what were you doing during that time? Did you have a full-time job, or like what other projects were you working on? So I had actually quit my job. If you've ever seen the movie Office Space, I was kind of like that guy where I, was, <laughs> I hate my cubicle and I want out of here. And so I quit my job, and I moved up to Colorado. And in 2002, believe it or not, there were no Starbucks and Wi-Fi was just like 802.11G. So there was really like early on in Wi-Fi's existence. So my goal was to go work from down by the river. I just wanted to put my feet in the water, listen to the stream, have a laptop, and that would be my office. And so um, in order to do that, the only way to do it was with a bi-directional satellite connection. And those were pretty heavy and needed something large to be mounted on. So I decided I'd put it on top of a 16-foot Airstream and then take the Airstream down by the river. And then from the Airstream, use Wi-Fi to sit down by the river. And so 
I bought an old Airstream on eBay, drove halfway across the country to get it, brought it home, and then I needed to figure out how to uh, fix something on this old Airstream. And I there was a popular Yahoo group, but you couldn't attach a photo. So I was telling a friend of mine at the bar saying, hey, I got this problem and I don't know how to fix it. And he's like, well, you should check into forum software. You know, there's this car forum that I'm on all the time and people share photos there all the time. So I had a little web hosting company. I decided to go uh, check out that forum script. I set it up for Airstream forums. And then lo and behold, I didn't realize Airstreamers were so avid. And a lot of Airstreamers showed up and basically have made the community what it is, um, which is just a, a great place for sharing information. And they made it what it is. I just set up the, the script. And how, how long did it take to like start populating that forum? Like, How did you get initial people into the group and how long did that process take? So I went over to the Yahoo group and I said, hey, guys, you know, I've set up a new site called Airstream Forums over here and I dropped a link to it. And a few people came over and they started to play around and they saw the reason why I did it was basically for the photo attaching functionality. Which is pretty big. If you want to do any type of renovation, you need to be able to see the photos. Exactly. And this was also like back then it was harder to get photos to attach them because you would have to take them on a camera, pull out your SD card, put it in your computer, upload them nowadays with mobile. You know, photos are much easier. But um, so just having that ability is what uh, allowed me to start the site. And then the first few people who came over were just amazing people. They were active in the Yahoo group. They were passionate about the topic. We all started working and I just started listening to them, you know, like, uh, Hey, you know, after a while, people were uh, selling, buying and selling in a forum. So we created a classified add-on or we, we added a classified add-on. More people were planning rallies. And so it's like, hey, let's put an RSVP system on there. That way people can say, yes, they're going. No, they're not going. And what they're going to bring to the potluck kind of thing. And so I just started working with them on, uh, you know, managing the site and adding features. And before I knew it, my Airstream restoration project was on hold and I was just heads down on this forum trying to see what I could do to make it better. And it was also a way for me to learn about web software, how it worked, PHP, MySQL, that kind of stuff. You know, I wasn't really a, a guru at the hands-on nuts and bolts with it. So I actually got in there and, you know, I screwed up the site a lot because I didn't know what I was doing, like where it would crash. And then I'd have to go figure out why it crashed. And there was a, a crash course in web stuff <laughs> a crash course in web stuff yeah i pretty much feel that way every time i work on a new theme or install a new plugin on our site so with airstream forums you started getting people in their community and they're you know they're starting to build up and and communicate and sell rigs how long was it before you started trying to figure out what monetization looked like on the forum well, early on, I knew it was a pretty laser-focused place, and, and with Airstreams in particular, and mostly focused on restoration at that time, it was, uh, you know, you have shops like Vintage Trailer Supply or certain, I guess there's one out of California, and um, Inland RV out there that, that sold parts and pieces for, you know, vintage restoration. Um, and so I knew that we would be a great target for those guys, but early on, we just put AdSense on there. And you were allowed one ad and, you know, it, I, every dollar I made, I put into ad buying AdWord ads and they were five cents an ad. So I'd make a dollar and I'd go get 20 to lead 20 people over to our website. And that's kind of early on how we did things. And then I guess it was in 2000, 
four or three or four, somewhere in there, Google said, you can put three ads per page. And so that helped a little bit, um, you know, went from making 150 bucks a month to 450 bucks a month or something like that, you know? And so at that point that paid for the server, you know, for our bandwidth, uh, once again, still advertising at some point, AdWords went to like 25 cents a click and it wasn't cost effective to keep doing that, you know, but basically it, it took, you know, a number of years to slowly build up to, to make any traffic that could really sustain the servers. Early on, we had a lot of help from the community. I remember we bought a server and I think it was about 1200 bucks and I asked the community and they all helped me uh, raise the money to buy one. And, uh, then we co-located it. And, I mean, it was it was really, really cool because the community helped out to basically start Airstream forums. And then I never intended to have more forums. It just, through a random turn of events, all of a sudden there was literally a site that was going to be shut down. And there was a notice at the top saying, we're going to shut this site down on a certain day. If you'd like to acquire the site or save it, contact us. And so I contacted the guy. And then all of a sudden I had a second forum and it was on kings queens and princesses basically on royalty so uh, it was a it was a topic i didn't have any expertise in or um, like it was a gossip site almost just for people to come and talk about royalty yeah and to the people in royalty you wouldn't want to call it gossip because they are really serious about uh their fandom of royals <laughs> and so i learned and i i respect them tremendously they're, they're just people out there who really like um i mean they'll they'll talk about you know proper etiquette or you know who's been seen where or what prince is dating who or what you know royal ceremonies have taken place and they're way into it and so and that's cool and so I worked with them and I said, hey, basically, I know how to run the software. You guys know the topic. Let's work together and I'll be the software guy. You be the forum people and we'll run this thing. And so that site then came to live on our servers. And a couple of weeks later, the same guy who ran the Royal website came to me and said, hey, I have a fashion website. Would you like to buy that, too? And so I didn't. I had to scrounge up the money to do it. And all of a sudden in a few weeks, I went from having a single Airstream forum with no intention to do anything different to owning three forums, two on topics I didn't know anything about. And that's kind of how I got into the multiple forum <laughs> business. So how many websites do you own today? Today, I think we have about 60 websites um, with about half of those, maybe a little more than half of those in the RV vertical. So outside of RVs, we've got marine, which would be kind of like, I call them RVs of the sea, like trawlers and cruisers. We also have, you know, random ones from cooking to soccer, royalty, you know, and various automotive and other topics. It's kind of interesting because, I mean, I would consider you an expert in building and monetizing communities because you have all these forums and a lot of them centric around content and you know, either people interacting in forums and how do you build and attach, you know, money to those. So how do you kind of see that translating into where we are now? Because Facebook groups are big. I wouldn't consider them exactly like a forum because they don't have as good of search functionalities and things like that. But would you think people are spending less time on forums now and kind of going over to some of these other things like Facebook or? Well, I, you know, I've got stats for all of our forums and we're not seeing slowdowns as far as like contributions and uh, 
traffic and stuff like that. So I do think that in the last 15 years, the number of places where people can chat has increased exponentially, you know? So back then there weren't a lot of places and now there's all kinds of different nooks and crannies on the internet that you can talk about whatever with other people in the same topics. And so it definitely, but there's more people in general online and they're spending more time online, right? So even though there's more options, there's also more time to fill those options. So we've actually seen pretty good demand on our websites. The amount of contributions, which we I usually measure in the number of posts per month, um, that stayed, stayed pretty much strong, you know, and so that to me suggests that we're doing okay. Facebook groups are definitely, uh, you know, a place where that are really popular right now. And just because you're already in Facebook or spending so much time in Facebook that they just pop up in your feed and, you know, it's so easy to then jump into that, dive into that group and chit chat and have fun and do whatever. And they also have their whole, uh, whatever they call it, their whole social feedback loop system of likes and whatnot to keep people engaged and over there. So, but I think overall they're, you know, we're, we're coexisting quite well right now. I think with forums, you end up with a little more, uh, what I'd call institutional knowledge, you know, where people are sharing information is there, it's saved. It's in a format that you can like go and search for it. And Facebook is more, you know, it comes, people answer and it sort of fades away until the next time somebody comes and asks a question, it does the same thing. Yeah, we get the same question uh, almost daily in our Facebook group. So that is one thing that's not as good. It's like, it's not like, uh, what is that, Quora, where you can go ask a question and look and see, like, what are the top answers? And it's, you know, just like a forum. Kind of transitioning a little bit. One thing that you said to me, we've kind of known each other for, I think, a couple of years now. And one thing that you said to me just about all your businesses in general was that you're more about hitting singles when everybody else is always trying to swing for the fence when it comes to starting something. Like, you're not trying to look for a unicorn. You're just about doing what is consistent and what you know. Can you talk a little bit more about like your philosophy on how you've grown on these websites and what does it mean to hit singles? Yeah. So um, by that, I mean, you know, I, you know, obviously what for me, at least when you're young and you, you think you can build a company that's going to be the next Google or Facebook or something like that, it's fun. But at the same time, being more realistic that you know, A, you're just lucky if you get to stay in business for a few years because most businesses fail within a few years, right? And so for, for me, it was always trying to build a business that was sustainable. So we sort of walked the line on an ad-supported business where we can give people something for free in exchange for the ads, but we didn't always make very good revenue on ads. And that was because, you know, we didn't, don't have a sales team. We're not the you know, the Wall Street Journal and, you know, don't have the cachet. So we're going out to get advertisers to add. And then nowadays they don't really even do ads direct that much anymore. It's all done through programmatic. And that actually helped us a little bit over the years. But uh, now you have ad blockers and ad blockers hurt us. And so for us, it's been, you know, we you got to be happy and content that a site is what it is and not try to think that this site has to be the the biggest and best. And so, I mean, a lot of our focus, a lot of my focus has been after I decided to do four forums full time and try to figure out how to you know, make them so they would be able to support my family and provide, you know, for the people that work with us and stuff like that was to, you know, the forums are, there were smaller in size. So to acquire them was usually smaller. And I tried to actually launch more forums later on um, after the first one. And it was really hard. And so, after a while, I decided, hey, you know, I think this is like a little small business. It takes a lot of effort to launch. 
And a lot of times people are tired, they want to get out of it, they don't have the server, so they have higher costs and different things. And so that's when we switched from instead of trying to launch sites to buying them. And when we buy them, they're typically, you know, smaller, affordable websites. So rather than us having one giant website, we've got 30 RV websites and each one does its thing and each one is a wonderful little community, you know, on whatever topics it serves. Um, and so we're not really so interested in trying to create the be all end all monster website, but instead, you know, having lots of, and I, I would, the same thing I would suggest if somebody was going out and going to start their own business, you know, I mean, trying to find something that will produce, for example, like say you're, say you're going to go on the road and you're trying to, and you've saved up some money and you can buy a business for say, you know, four years earnings. Well, if you have $40,000 and you buy that business and it generates $10,000 for you, at least now you have that revenue coming in, you know, and you know that, yeah, yeah you didn't just buy some huge fancy business that's going to make you really rich, but you bought a nice little foundation that you can go build on, you know, and, and then having proper expectations that I think that this foundation is, that's exactly what it is. And I mean, for us, our bread and butter has always been the forum communities. And with those, I just, I worked with some really amazing people who help us work with the members and manage them. And I think that's really what, that's what our, what I call our base hits are just basically working with small, like a lot of times we'll find a community that's on a platform that's very difficult to export or get, like it's basically stuck. And then we have to go through the technical exercise of there is no export that exists for this platform. There is no way to get these people off this system. How do we get them off, you know? And then we get them off and onto a better system and guess what, they're happy. And uh, then that was a, a good thing where, you know, together we made things better. Yeah, talking about buying businesses, that was something that Alyssa and I experienced in our first year during Hourly America. Because if you don't really ever dive into what it means to buy a business, sometimes you think of like companies like Instagram getting bought for a billion dollars and things like that. But when we were traveling throughout the country, we met so many people who basically got amazing deals on just random businesses that they bought, like even on Craigslist. Like there was this guy that we worked for in Boston. He bought a juice shop for $15,000 right out of college. And now he's got like nine storefronts, one in Boston. And so... On that note, is there any particular businesses that you have bought that if you don't mind sharing, maybe it's been like several years, so it's not a big deal. Like you bought it for like a certain amount and like it gets like a case study of a business that you bought and it's generating, you know, X amount now annually and it's maybe not you're not spending as much time. Is there any that come to mind that kind of stick out as like, okay, that was a good purchase? Well, that that royal one I told you about, I mean, it was I ended up paying the guy 750 bucks for it. That was in, I guess, 2003 or so. Today, it's still up. It's still running. And it I don't know how much it makes per month, but it makes a few hundred dollars, you know. And so that's a heck of a good ROI for 15 years of making a few hundred dollars a month off a $750 investment. And so that just happened to be a random one, you know. But, like, I have friends all the time because I, I got lucky. I did all this before I was married. I, I actually left the country to go live abroad where it was cheap so I could take the money I saved and try and invest it into my business and stuff. So I mean, a hundred percent bootstrapped, but I have friends who will say, Hey, you know, how do I, how do I get into something? So I don't have to, you know, do the commute every day and kind of get to, you know, be in control of my own life and stuff like that. And there are some awesome businesses out there. And, 
you know, I think right now there's going to be a ton of them available because a lot of baby boomers are like, I'm ready. You know, I say, (laughs) my, the stock market's up. I just now need to actually officially make cut. And there's going to be a ton of really awesome businesses out there coming for sale. And there, to me, I've always found the best businesses are the ones that you go search out and you're like, wow, this is really cool. I'm just going to reach out to the owner and see what they say. And, uh, versus going to the sites where they have like stuff for sale, you know, I'm sure you can still find decent stuff there, but you know, it's almost always somebody who's inquisitive, you know, coming in saying, oh, I wonder if you'd sell that. And so you've bought a lot. Have you sold any of your sites? I have. So it's kind of like a parlay in a casino where I've <laughs> won some money or, you know, sites that do well. And then I take the revenue that they make and I buy more sites. And so at a point you have too many websites. And so, um, and then they also kind of become a distraction. So last fall I sold off some automotive websites and I did that on purpose so I could then buy RV websites. And so what I did there was I consolidated into a certain topic, you know, previously in 2012, I also sold a handful of sites. And then previously before that I did one, I sold that actually a fashion website was the first one that I ever sold. Interesting. So now you have some, you've kind of ventured into RV life. So you own RV life magazine, rvlife.com, DIY RV, and these are more content driven sites versus forums. So what made you start venturing into these types of websites? Cause I would presume that it's a totally different style of management. And so you had to go and learn what does it take to produce good content? Uh, and now you're starting to think about branding and some of these things. So how has that transition been into doing more content? versus just, you know, traditional ads on a forum. Right, right. So, yeah, we had a bunch of RV-related forums, and then it's under the company name, which is called Social Knowledge, which is a name I came up with a long time ago. And it was hard if you go to an RV show, and I'm like, hey, I'm Andy, and I'm with Social Knowledge. And they're like, (laughs) and we run a bunch of RV websites, including, and say, the names of them. And so I had always been looking for, like, a brand to call it, you know, like, what can I call it that would give somebody the idea of like, oh, this is a network of RV related websites. And so I was looking around for a bunch of different domains and I almost, I think I ended up buying the domain RV spot, like as sort of like was going to be our brand. And, you know, you, you can hang out at the RV spot kind of thing. Yeah. And right when we were about to switch to using that brand, I got a notification from a, a gal who was writing articles for me saying that RV Life magazine was going to call it quits and that they were looking for somebody to take over the website and stuff like that. And so I thought, uh, you know, that's not really our bread and butter, you know, running a content site. And, but I, I love the domain rvlife.com and that could be our brand. So I talked to the gal and we, we ended up acquiring RV Life and all their articles and all their, you know, everything going back to 1984 and the there weren't very many paper subscribers at that point that were paying there was a bunch of paper subscribers that were being printed and then put out there to keep the you know numbers up so we bought rv life at that point and now all of a sudden had a little content site and so um yeah started working with the writers there that most of the staff quit so that was interesting had to left me trying to figure out what to do but thankfully i had this really amazing writer named renee and she you know took over and started just producing lots of content and uh, since then, you know, we've just met people at shows or RVers here and there who want to write articles and we basically have a flat fee. And, you know, we're always looking for more RVers to write articles for us. And, you know, when we find ones that we enjoy working with, that just turns into, you know, you know, 
a handful of articles a month if possible. And uh, so far, so good. I mean, from a standpoint of, I think the content kind of breaks even from, it's one thing when you're writing articles for your own blog and those will then produce revenue for you in the long run, you know, in this case, we have to pay for the article. We probably end up about break even on our content, but then we promote it a lot on our other sites and in our newsletters and stuff like that. And so it, it adds value to our network as far as just, you know, more content to read and more places to go and stuff to, to see. Yeah. When it comes to creating content for something like RV Life, like how many, I'm just kind of curious, like how much traffic do you guys now have on like RV Life? Do you know those analytics off the top of your head? No, <laughs> I don't. But I mean, I, I have a link and actually I'll pull it up on analytics where we're on here. But... I'm just kind of curious because I know that there's a lot of people who have, they're creating content um, through blogging and things like that. But I've always been kind of hesitant to go the ad route, but I know that's been your bread and butter. So can you talk a little bit more about what it takes as far as how much traffic do you actually need to start generating a decent amount of revenue from ads? And do you think that's still going to be the way that people go in the future as for, like, is content marketing, brand partnerships, is that going to be where things are going? Or do you still you know, see ads living for quite a while longer? Well, there's an inverse relationship between size and revenue, at least when I've seen on the internet when it comes to ad rates. And so when you have a site that's fairly small, the ad rates can be a bit higher. And as you get a site that gets more and more page views, the rate goes down. And a lot of times some of that's driven by some, you know, say you have a user who reads 40 page views. Well, you know, they read a lot of page views. They're very unlikely to click on an ad, you know, versus somebody who comes from a certain, like say a search engine, they read one page view. Now they're distracted and they're ready to move on to whatever else they're researching. And so I don't think that high page view and high volume always translates to equal amount of revenue. And so I think that's what a lot of people think. They're like, oh my gosh, I started this website and I'm making $400 a month now, this thing's going to be crazy. And then, you know, you triple in size and you're only making 600 bucks a month, you know, and you're like, what's going on? So that's something that, you know, to keep in mind is that, and I, at that point we're talking, I'd say, you know, a website that has under a hundred thousand page views would be a certain level. And then maybe the next one would be 250,000 page views and half a million, million, two million, three million, stuff like that. And so as you get higher and higher, it gets harder to get that needle to go up. So what else were you asking me about? You said, ask me about. Yeah, no, that was just kind of, oh, I was asking how many page views a, a, a year or a month oh, yeah. that RV Life gets. RV Life last month, and this is the middle of winter, um, got 246,000 page views and 131,000 uniques. Gotcha. Um, then... We're just going to geek out on analytics for a moment. And the reason, I mean, I, I like talking about this kind of stuff just because it's interesting, you know, how many articles a month you need to crank out and how much time do you personally spend on like SEO and thinking about this kind of stuff and, and training your writers? Because with 60 sites, you can't be hands on with all of them. So I'm just kind of curious on how you're managing and growing all of social knowledge. Okay. So uh, when it comes to the writing, we have an editor. And she manages the writers and the writers basically submit, you know, say a handful of articles a month. I think we're publishing about 20 articles a month on RV life and 20 articles a month on do it yourself RV. So 40 articles total, probably paying like 50 bucks an article, something like that. We pay more sometimes. It depends on the writer and the length of the article and the type of like we have some people who blog about golfing 
and golfing's not really our top uh, subject, you know, it's sort of a nice to have, but not required to have kind of thing. And so he might make a little bit less on a, on an entry like that. But I'd say, you know, if there was writers out there that write good, high quality articles, we'd pay up to a hundred bucks for those. And if somebody has an essay of epic proportion, that's super awesome and amazing. You know, we could compensate for that too, but we tend to not do really long articles because people don't read them on the internet anyway, <laughs> short articles. So yeah, we, we create the content and then that gets published out and she manages that. Uh, the writers tend to just publish them right into WordPress and then Nikki will edit them. And then that's our editor and then they get published. And so that's pretty much a process there. And then the other sites, like the communities, those are typically set up with like moderators and administrators. And we try to get folks who are, you know, specific to that brand. So on Winnie Owners, the Winnebago owner one, we have Winnebago owners, you know, as moderators and administrators. And on all Airstream forums, you know, it's the same thing. We have Airstream owners that are moderators, administrators. And we have basically some community rules that we require people to follow. And they know what those rules are and they just kind of keep on top of the community, you know, and, and help manage them. And so they're really, um, there's not a lot to have to deal with there as far as, well, that's a, a gross understatement. Um, <laughs> I work with a really amazing gal named Janet and she works with our, primarily with our teams on the forums and she does work a lot and it's a lot of work, but basically keeping our teams, you know, just trained and, and going, you know, we have people that leave and we'll bring new people on. And then we try to keep balances on our team. We try to keep people with different perspectives, you know, to try and like a, one, one thing that we found when we buy sites, forums, particularly the owner will then get a bunch of his friends to be the mods and admins. So basically it's like a boys club kind of thing. We try to make a consistent effort to just bring on people with sort of different perspectives that are all fairly uh, calm and know how to how to deal with, you know, if people are talking about a tense subject, you know, they might diffuse it with humor or something like that. But we, we think it's important to have a good, you know, gender diversity and good background diversity. So we have people from different perspectives to help us watch over all the communities. Yeah. I mean, what was your thought and, and motive for building out and buying a lot of these sites? Like what was the driving factor for you wanting to build this business? Well, at first it was just freedom. I figured, uh, I found like I built a forum and it started growing. And so I thought, oh, you know what? Now I can, I can't live well in the United States, but I can move to South America and I can live off this. And uh, so that was the first thing. And then as over the years, just like any industry, uh, online communities were consolidated. And so there's a couple of companies that own a bunch of automotive ones. And I started to see what they were doing in automotive. And I was like, well, you know, nobody's really doing this in the RV vertical. So maybe I could go out and buy up a bunch of RV websites and kind of this follow the same business model that they're using for automotive and just do it with RVs. And so and what was the, was that business model? Buy a bunch of forums, generate a lot of money on ads, put a systems in place to all of them be managed and kind of run on repeat. I know that's like oversimplified, but yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, yeah, running forums is just a one type of internet website. And, you know, the content's a different type and the other stuff like you've mentioned before. And so yeah, we have our uh, our systems in place so we could acquire forums, put them on our platform and train the users and sort of like it's a little bit of a you know like um, well the best practices we figured out that worked well in other forums we just apply those to the the new ones and they tend to work well there too so 
And then it was in 2012 or so, we bought a, a big automotive website that wasn't a forum platform. And since then, we've had to deal with internal development teams, uh, you know, software developers, front end designers. Like uh, before that, it was just all running a, a script that we bought commercially. And that's been a, been a big challenge. And that's where like that actually started. Then we had RV Park Reviews. And that one was a big challenge to sort of get our hands behind and launch a new version. And, you know, we need to launch more versions now and just keep improving. You've been doing this since 2002 now with forums and sites like RV Park Reviews and DIY RV. What has been your biggest misstep in that time? Like if you could look back and just be like, yeah, that probably wasn't a smart thing to do. Like what was that mistake? Oh, I think it was probably communication with the manufacturers. Um, I don't think that we failed, but I think what happens is you get associated with the forum and the forum is a place where a lot of complaints are aired about quality control issues. And so they're nothing really that's it's not my fault. You know, I run a website and members are there talking about this stuff, but it sometimes can give, I would get mad too if people were talking about my stuff and, and not saying nice things, even though I tried really hard to build the best I could. So I think probably early on, I would have traveled up to the manufacturers and met with them in person and tried to educate them on why it is important to work with a forum community and not resent a forum community because that's where all the people who are pissed off go. Because there's a lot of, I'd say, a vast, vast, vast majority of the chit chat that happens on forums is happy users talking about topics that are, you know, they enjoy or else nobody would hang out there if it was just a big complaint fest. But it's when somebody airs out, you know, issues they're having. It's just a, it's an uncomfortable, very public way of dealing with a customer service issue. And oftentimes that gets brought back on the, the communication tool, not necessarily the you know, so I think I would have worked harder with the manufacturers to say, hey, you know, don't blame us and let's try to find ways to work together. I mean, I guess because they're kind of looking at these sites like, oh, man, there's all these. I mean, I guess in a forum, like, why can't they just jump in, though, and kind of voice their concern? Well, they've been reluctant to do that. So, like, some of them do. We do have some sites where we have people, especially I think one of them is over on Forest River, where we have, like, you know, Forest River has a bunch of different sub entities or manufacturers. And. I think some of those people have come over and they're like, help us name our next trailer or help us, you know, do this. And they, they'll, they'll get in there and they'll chit chat with it. Usually it's a person at a company who actually really understands it. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and get out there and start chit chatting. But I've found that a lot of times there's been one person, they go out, they say something. And then I think somebody's like, Oh, don't address it this way, address it that way. And then they don't, they get scared and they don't go back out there into the forum kind of thing. And so you know, it really depends on who it is and what brand they are. And I think they, and I don't know, I mean, you know, some brands are just more, you know, willing to get out there and interact and other ones are more corporate and follow sort of a, they probably have a, I don't know, speaking out loud here, they might have a corporate communication policy that they follow and whatever that says, that's what they do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, uh, last question I have for you, Andy, I ask this uh, every episode, but as you're, Traveling around with your family sometimes in the Airstream and you're building up uh, social knowledge, converting it to be more RV facing with RV life. What does success look like for you? You know, that's been a lot of fun to think about because it's changing all the time. And more recently, I've been more excited about 
what that's going to look like, not from a financial standpoint, but from a tools perspective. And so success for us will be a higher penetration rate within the RV community with tools that are so awesome that everybody raves about them saying, oh my gosh, you know, I use this or I use that and we're happy. So um, only a small fraction of people use forums now and probably not going to grow that. Well, I mean, we'll keep growing a little by little, but you know, I think for us, we have this RV park reviews and I'm excited to uh, see that grow. And uh, you know, we're getting, getting more and more contributions to it. And so success for us is just going to be how we can provide useful services for our viewers. So in another 15 years, we'll still be here. We'll have been around 30 years at that point, And we'll be able to be pretty um, happy that we were able to exist for so long. I love it. Well, where is a good place for people to connect with you online? Uh, probably uh, via my LinkedIn profile, uh, which uh, if you, I don't know if you put up. Uh, I will, yeah, I'll link up to it in the in the show notes. Uh, Andy's LinkedIn profile, hit him up, send him a email and all that good stuff. Well, thanks Andy so much for being on the podcast, man. Sure thing. Nice to chat with you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the episode today with Andy. To grab the show notes, as always, head on over to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast. I love hearing from you guys on email and on Twitter and Facebook and all the places that you guys let me know that y'all are enjoying the podcast. I'll see y'all next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.